It is so great to be worshiping with you uh, this morning on a cold, dreary, wet day, um, but we are having a, an amazing time in here worshiping together. So I'm so thankful to have all of you here and for what God is, uh, is up to in our church family. Oh, by the way, our, this catches me every week. Now, get, you guys go, go on ahead. Our fourth and fifth graders, kickstart, get on out of here. You guys have an amazing time. One of these days I'm going to remember, I promise. So, But I, I, I am excited just about this season that uh, God has us moving into as a church family and us being all together and worshiping together this morning. Um, it really is great to be worshiping as one body and uh, just grateful for each and every one of you. I want you to know that I've been praying for you this week. And um, if, if you uh, have, were not with us last Sunday, we are in a series that we are calling resilient. And uh, Lowell did an amazing job speaking last Sunday. And, and I want to encourage you that if you were not here two Sundays ago on July 10th, I, I want to encourage you to go back and, and watch or listen to that message because really that kind of outlines what we're going to be talking about in this series, but also just kind of where we are moving forward together as a, as a church family, just what, what myself and our entire leadership team, as, as we've been praying, as we've been having conversations with, with all of you and just kind of where we are as, as a church and how we move forward together as a church family. And, um, uh, but I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. But one of the things that, that I touched on in that message, that as we've had conversations, as we've been praying, as we've just been examining our own lives uh, as well, is, is just this uh, observing and sensing with so many within our church and with our society at large is just how many people are just feeling just worn down and just worn out, just weary from the fight, weary from all that we've been through over these last number of years. And in some ways, it's kind of felt like death by a thousand cuts. And, and if you, you know, thought I might break into a Taylor Swift song right now, you're in luck because I'm... Go no, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm, I will spare all of you. Thank you. I, I'm... I'm I, <laughs> Liz, I'm glad you agree, because there's no way... Yeah, I'm not going to sing Taylor Swift's song. I, I, don't, I, I don't have that range. But anyways, just with, with, with all of just the, the weariness and the exhaustion that so many have just been facing right now, in, in, in the middle of, of just the, the weariness in society that, that, is, that is happening right now, that I, th I think it's the, the church, and not just the physical space, but the church, all of us that make up the body of Christ, all of us that make up the church, that we really ought to be a breath of fresh air to those around us, a breath of fresh air to those that we in encounter, and yet so many of us feel like we have so little to give, so little to give to those around us. In, in some ways, it feels like trying to squeeze water out of a stone, and, and it's just like there there's just nothing that's there. And and as I was praying about this, as I was thinking about it, God brought to mind something that, um, that the prophet Ezekiel, uh, a vision that the prophet Ezekiel had in, in the Old Testament. And, and I want, it's a little bit longer. I want to share it with you this morning. But it's, it's from Ezekiel chapter 47. And God gives Ezekiel this, this vision. And, 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 and I really believe that this, this is something for all of us. As, as a church body, of what God wants to see happen in and through us as, as Livingstone's church. And so um, they, the scriptures will be on the screen, but also if you um, want to follow along on our LSC app, you can search for that, and all the scriptures and points are in the app as well. But it's starting in, in Ezekiel chapter 47, 
verse 1. And he, and he says, the man, he's sharing his vision, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. So he's given this vision. He sees the temple, and there's water that's flowing out of the temple, coming from the, the altar that's in the middle of the temple. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. Amen to that, huh? As, as, the, man was, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the river had risen and was so deep it was enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, which, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There, there will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. And skipping down to verse 12, he says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And I love, I love that, that vision that that Ezekiel has, he, the, this water that was flowing out of the temple, and everywhere that the, 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 the water went, everywhere that that river flowed, life came with it. Flourishing came with it. Now, in, in Scripture, when, when you see water, when you see the river, often it is a, a, a metaphor or a symbol for the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives within you and I, that we carry with us everywhere that we go. And everywhere that, that that river flowed, everywhere that it went, God's Spirit moves. The salty water of the Dead Sea became fresh. In the Dead Sea, it can't support fish, it can't support life with how salty it is. And said, all right, th this, this water that flowed from the temple now, now filled the Dead Sea with fresh water. And, and it teemed with fish and animals and, and trees and everything was surrounding both sides. That everywhere that, the, that it went... Life followed. Fruit trees grew along the banks. And that last sentence that, that Ezekiel says in, in verse 12, he says, Their fruit will serve for food and leaves for healing. Now, what does Scripture tell us about the temple? Like We, we don't worship at the, at the temple anymore like the, like the Jews did back in, in the Old Testament times. The New Testament actually says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That, that the Spirit of God resides and rests inside of us. That, that, that ultimately, God's river of life should flow from us. God's river of life should flow out of us in the same way that in Ezekiel's vision, that water flowed out of the temple. That water ought to flow out of each one of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That, that vision that God gave to Ezekiel is a picture of what should happen when, when God's people carrying His Spirit 
with them, that we bring life and we bring healing and we bring flourishing everywhere that we go. That dry, desolate places soon become teeming with life. And, and there's two observations I have in, in just thinking about this, this vision that God gave to Ezekiel. And the first one is that the sad reality is that all too often the church has seemed anything but a breath of fresh air. Throughout history, so often, the church has not been a source of life and a source of healing and flourishing and encouragement. The sad reality is that way too often the church has been a source of pain, of division, of exclusion, of condemnation. But but my prayer for, for us as, as a church body, for Livingstone's church, is that, that we would be that kind of church. We would be that kind of people that where we go, that the river of life flows from us, that life flows from, from, you know, it goes everywhere that we are, that flourishing happens in those places, that where we go and where we move, when we allow God's spirit to flow through us, flourishing happens, prospering takes place. Where there was previously no life that now is teeming with life. Healing and nourishment takes place. And this is something that I believe that God has for us, that God wants for us, that he wants to see happen through each one of us. That when we head over to to Miami Hills, as we've done throughout the month of July and our popsicles on the playground there, that the river of life throws flows through us in, in that place. That when we're at work or at the grocery store or at a restaurant, the things that were formerly des- desolate are now teeming with life. And, and I see this for, for you and for me and for our church family. That this is something that God wants for us as a body of believers. But my second observation about Ezekiel's vision is this. And you can write this down if you're following along. But we can't give, we can't give what we don't have ourselves. We can't, we can't give what we don't have ourselves. That, that, that ultimately, yeah, we, we want that, that river of, of life to flow from us. But we, we can't give what we don't have. What I was saying before about trying to squeeze water from, from a stone, in, in, in some ways, like, I, I think of it like this. We can't lend money to somebody if we're overdrawn in our own checking account as it is. We, we, have to have, we have to have extra that we can share with others. We can't give away what we don't have ourselves. And so if we're going to share the river of life with those around us and for flourishing and healing to take place, we have to have some reserves in our own tank. We have to, we have, to have some things that, that we are able to actually share with those around us. And so many feel so depleted and so worn out and so empty like we have nothing left in our tanks at all. In some ways, Jesus, he, he told a parable. Jesus told a parable about, it's called the parable of the ten virgins. And, and, he, and he talks about this parable that there were, there were five virgins that went out to go meet the, the bridegroom. And they carried enough oil with them. But there were also five virgins that went out and they did not carry enough oil in their lamps. And, and eventually they ran out. They ran out. They didn't bring enough with them. And, and so we're, we're talking for, for ourselves, like, how do, how do we replenish our reserves? How do we have anything in the tank for us that we can share with others? That that river of life can flow from us to those that are, that are all around us. Because we have to have something in our tank and something in our reserves in order to give, in order to share with others. Now, now two weeks ago, I shared a definite, or excuse me, last Sunday, 
I apologize. Last Sunday, I shared a definition of, of a word that we've all heard before, but I, I, and previous to this, I was, I was unaware of, of what the definition of this word actually meant. And, and it's the word apocalypse. And, and the, the, the Greek definition for apocalypse means to uncover, to reveal, to lay bare. And, and these last few years, for so many, not just within the church, but so many in society, has really uncovered and revealed and laid bare so much of, of, of that's been in, in our world and in our lives, in our churches, that, that just has, has not been all that great. Like th- thinking about just the, the mental health crisis that so many, especially our young people, are dealing with right now. There, there's a lot of, of writing and, and uh, talking about something that's called the great resignation. I don't know if you've, you've heard or you've read it all about the, the great resignation, but just massive numbers of people have been quitting and leaving, leaving their jobs. But this goes beyond just, just work as well. Like people have been quitting and, and leaving their marriages and relationships. People have left the church, left their faith altogether. And the, and the fallout from this apocalypse, this unveiling, this uncovering that we've gone through over these last number of years has really been devastating to so many, to say the least. Now, I, I, don't, I don't watch a, a lot of TV, but there's a, there's a show that, that my staff, they kind of tease me about um, because I, I, I totally love watching it. I, and so we'll watch it on the History Channel app. And it's the, the series Alone. Has anybody ever watched or heard of, of Alone? I, Jeff, I, come on. There you go. Be bold, man. Like, don't... I, I, I love this show. I, it, it really is fascinating. If you've not watched it, I would highly encourage you to do so. But, but for those that are, um, I was, I was going to say uncultured, or I was going to, I was going to, for those that don't know, I'll just say it like that. For those that aren't aware of, of the TV show uh, alone, the, the way it works is there's 10 contestants that are, that are brought together, and they have their choice. They have 10 items that they can bring along with them. And then, essentially, they're, they're taken mostly to cold, you know, desolate places like Vancouver Island or up in Mongolia or northern Canada, and they're dropped off completely alone, and they have to fend for themselves. They have to be able to find or create, build their own shelter. They have to procure their own food and water. They have to ward off predators. They have to find ways to stay warm and dry, ways to occupy their minds to combat boredom. And they do it all alone, by themselves. And not only do they have to do that, they have to film themselves doing it. So they're, they're supplied with cameras and they have to film their, themselves as they're trying to make it in literally in the middle of nowhere. And it's, it's a last man or last woman standing competition. That essentially what they have to try to do is they have to try to survive and last out in the middle of nowhere longer than anybody else. And it's, it's a fascinating show to watch on, on so many levels. But one of the things I love is just the creativity that the different contestants have to, have to come up with. All right, how, how am I going to adapt? How am I going to survive in the middle of this? And, and for many, the mental battle is... is every bit as hard, if not harder, than the physical battle of being cold, of being, uh, of, of, of being hungry, because they're completely isolated. We, like, we've talked about this before. We were never meant to be alone, that we need one another. And, and one, of the, one of the biggest mental battles that so many of the contestants face is, all right, here I'm by myself weeks, months on end with nobody to talk to, without my friends, without my loved ones, 
around me. And, and if, you, if you watch, and, and I've, I'm a nerd, I've watched all, all eight of the, well, nine of the seasons. And in the early seasons especially, but throughout the whole, there, there are always some that tap out like within the first few days. Like they, they you know, like they just can't, they can't cut it. They can't make it in one way or another. And in fact, in, um, in the first two seasons, there were some that lasted only a few hours before they, they called and tapped out and wanted to be, wanted to go home. But one of the things that this show does, it, it reminds me of that word apocalypse. It kind of uncovers, it reveals, it lays bare all that's within the contestants as, as they are, as they're trying to, to survive in the middle of nowhere. When they're put in these, this high pressure environments, they're, they're forced to confront some, some things about themselves. They're forced to confront maybe some of the ugly things about themselves through it. Like, you know, their, their skill level of building a shelter and procuring food and, and staying healthy, their, their mental stamina and, and resilience that they have, their ability to change, to adapt to the different circumstances that, are, that they find themselves in, that, that, that are around them. And the ones that make it to the end are the ones that are, are prepared not just physically but also mentally as well. The ones who are adaptable, the ones who are resourceful and, and versatile. That they have the reserves available so that they can succeed, that they can make it. And, and today, we, we, I, I feel like we find ourselves in, in a similar situation. We're not off trying to, to you know, like in a, in a Mad Max post-apocalyptic you know, world where we're trying to find food and survive. It's not necessarily to that degree, but I think in a lot of ways we find ourselves in, in a similar season of testing our resolve and our resiliency, seeing what we have in our reserves and what we have in our tanks. And as I think about this, so many things can be traced back to, to the very beginning in, in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden, ever, ever since then there's just been this universal longing that every human being has had. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that we have a longing for things to be good again. Like inside every single one of us, there, there's, this, there's this deep longing that we have for things to be good, for things to be right, for things to be just. But the trouble is we're stuck in a world where things aren't good, where things are not right. We're stuck in a world that's filled with, with disease and abuse and divorce and hunger and racism and injustice and war. Like we, we, we are surrounded in a, in a world where everything feels anything but good. I mean, watching the news, experiencing our own lives, and, and yet we have this, this longing inside of us for things to be good, to go back to Eden in a way where there was peace, where there, where, where, where there was justice, where things were, were good and, and right. And the sad reality is for, for so many of us, way too, I, I mean, I, and I'll make this about me, the sad reality in my life is so often in a desire for things to be good, in, a, in my desire for things to be right again, we can end up turning to the wrong things in order to try to make things good. We can turn to the wrong things and try to make things right again. Like so, you know, we feel life is out of control and so, you know, food is something we control and so it's easy to, to run to food as, as a source of comfort and a source of control. We, we, may, we may feel discontented, and so we try to assuage our discontentment by going and buying things, buying stuff. Like how many people, like during the pandemic, during the lockdown, find yourself scrolling through Amazon and just ordering stupid stuff that, you know, like 
literally sat in the box you'd maybe brought out and looked at, but never, like, all right, I was trying to make myself feel better by buying, you know, I, I, I don't, I was trying to think of like a, a mouse powered, I, I, I don't know. Well, we try, we try to make ourselves feel better by, by, by buying stuff, by buying things. Maybe, maybe we're having trouble and we find ourselves in a, in a rough patch in, in our marriage and in an effort to try to make things good again, we pursue another relationship. And, and part of these misguided attempts to fix things is to make us feel better. But, there, but there's another aspect that plays into this as well. And this is something that I spoke with our students about when we went on our seismic retreat two weeks ago. And it's, a, it's this idea that weariness clouds our judgment. Weariness clouds our judgment. When, when we're worn down, when we're weary, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, it, it clouds our judgment. We, we, don't, we don't see things properly. We often don't make good decisions when we're weary and when we're worn down. We don't make rational decisions. We, it's easy for us to make mistakes. And I, I was talking to you about the TV show Alone. Like when, when, when the contestants are malnourished, when they're exhausted, when they're under pressure, it's easy for, for them to make mistakes. It's easy for their judgment where they, where they make a poor decision because they're not thinking clearly. And on the seismic retreat, I shared the story of, of Elijah, that he had this, um, this amazing victory on Mount Carmel where he battled the, the 450 prophets of Baal. And immediately after this, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they, they threatened Elijah's life and said, all right, you know, we, we, we are going to take your life just as the prophets of Baal had lost their lives in this. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, when, when, when Elijah heard this threat against his life, this was his response. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and then he laid down again. Like in the, in the middle of, of Elijah's weariness, God ministers to him. But he goes on to complain a few verses later. He goes on to complain and he says, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one in all of Israel that's not bowed my knee to Baal. Which actually was not true. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, an accurate, it wasn't a factual statement. But in his weariness and in his fear and in his discouragement, he wasn't seeing things clearly. He wasn't making sound decisions where he was literally... He, he was running from his life because he was afraid Jezebel was going to kill him. But then he goes and he says, all right, God, why don't you just kill me instead? Like, I, I can't do this anymore. And his weariness and his discouragement and the pressure that Elijah felt under clouded his judgment. Now, there, there's something out there that's called arousal control. And parents, that's not something that you need for your teenagers. Maybe it is arousal control, but... But anyway, well, maybe this. But arousal control, like it, it's, it's a fancy, 
It's a fancy phrase for being able to keep a cool head in a pressured situation. Being able to keep a cool head in a high-pressure situation. Like, have, have you ever been so angry or so tired that you just can't think straight? And, and that, so arousal control is, is talking about that, is, is how do I keep a cool head in the, matter, in the middle of a high-pressure situation? And things like military personnel, NASA astronauts, ER doctors, other th others that find themselves in high-stress, highly uncontrollable environments have to master this to be successful in their field. Ar arousal control, like how do, how do I keep myself calm so that I can make sound choices, I can make sound decisions? That I'm not going to make those same mistakes because in emotional pressured exhausting situations, it's easy for us to make poor decisions because we're not thinking clearly. We're not thinking correctly often. Proverbs 27.7 says, One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. And, and this idea that when we're deprived, when we're at our end, when we're not at our best, even things that seem bitter are going to seem sweet. Even things that are not good for us might look good in that moment when we feel worn down, when we feel deprived in one way or another. Things seem to make sense to us in those situations that under normal circumstances would not have made sense. And so how do we maintain a sense of, of calm? How do we maintain a sense of, of cool when, when we are weary, when we're worn down, stretched thin, when, when we're feeling under pressure? Like when we're having to deal with this constant barrage of of things coming at us. And we find ourselves in the high pressure, pressure situations of life on a, on a daily basis. Like, what, what can we do to be resilient? What, what can we do so that we're going to last, so that we're not going to give up, we're not going to tap out when the pressure is on, but that we're in it for the long haul? And I believe there's something that we can learn from, from athletes, actually, that can help us in, in this process. Je Jesus often, he told parables as, as a way to kind of convey spiritual principles in, in, a, in, a, in an everyday way that, that normal people would understand. And, and the Apostle Paul actually does something very similar. That he, he didn't necessarily speak in parables, but he shared lots of uh, examples and metaphors. And, and one of the examples that Paul often used in his writings was, was about athletics. And this would have been very familiar to, to uh, Gentiles that Paul was ministering to in the, in the Gentile world because they were very familiar with the, with the Olympic Games, with the Isthmian Games um, as well because it was something they were surrounded with. And it's something that's also very familiar to, to all of us too. Like we, we, many of us, we love our sports. And one of the metaphors that Paul used was in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. And what Paul's doing is he's comparing our faith journey that we're on to an athlete who's training to compete, having to be intentional, having to be purposeful in how we're preparing so that we can be successful. If you've ever watched sports movies, in, in virtually any sports movie that's out there, there there's always going to be like a, a training montage. 
You know, you think of like Rocky and he's, he, you know, he's running through Philadelphia, you know, like, or you, you think of like Karate Kid, the Mighty Ducks, you know, like if, if you think of uh, Cool Runnings, I don't know if you guys remember, like there, there's always like a training montage where, where they're preparing, they're getting the, you know, the, the protagonist, they're getting ready to go and take on the, their, their big opponent. I, I mean, even it's not a sports movie, but even like in The Empire Strikes Back, which is like the best of all the Star Wars movies, and you can't argue me out of that. Like, e- even in that, like, Luke goes through this, this training, and we see, we see them in these montages. They're working hard. They're sweating. You know, they're, they're busy getting themselves in great shape. They're honing their skills. But there's something that we, that we almost never see in those movies, and especially in those training montages either something that we don't often see with athletes today. Like we, we see them, you know, celebrating in, in the clubhouse or in the, the, the locker room after a victory, or we see, you know, we see them out on the field, but we don't often see what goes on to help make them and make them uh, stay healthy. And this idea, I want you to encourage, I want, to, I want you to write this down, that recovery is one of the most important aspects of an athlete's success. Recovery. Like a starting pitcher in baseball will usually only start one out of every five games because they need to recover. Like throwing over 100 pitches, the torque on your elbow, the, you know, throwing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, it takes time to recover from that. They're icing their shoulders down immediately after a game. You know, athletes, they take ice baths to, to just, you know, like sit literally in a bath of ice to, to soothe sore muscles. Long-distance hikers. I, I know guys that have walked and hiked the entire 2,000 miles plus of the Appalachian Trail. And often, like, they'll average 12 to 16 miles a day. But one of the things that, that any good hiker who's going to make it for the long haul, they have to plan what they call zero days, where I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm literally just staying here. I'm going to set up my tent. I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to recover. And, and this is so important to an athlete's long-term success, that their body is going to give out if they aren't taking that time to intentionally recover, to rest, to get healthy once again. If we don't allow ourselves time to recover, we're never going to make it for the long haul either. If you think about it, if you've ever tried to like hold a muscle or just like clench for any period of time, you can only do it for so long before you need to release, before you need to release and relax that muscle. We need, to, we need to allow ourselves time to heal, to recover. And, and any effective athlete would tell you that, that, I, I, that what they do to allow themselves to recover is directly proportional to them being successful. They, they need times to, to rest after their exertion. And many, many sports injuries happen when people have rushed that, when athletes have not given themselves time to recover and time to heal. And they end up injuring themselves further. And, and I think the same, the same principle applies and is at work in our spiritual journey as well. Like there's times where, where we're busy, where there's times that we advance, but there's also times that we need to pull back to recover, to heal as well. And I believe that's one of the seasons that we are in right now as a church, a time of healing and recovery. Now, now healing and recovery, it doesn't mean sloth and inactivity, though. 
Healing and recovery does not mean sloth in inactivity. My, my beloved Green Bay Packers. I see you smirking at me, John. I, I, <laughs> a couple of years ago, the, the Packers, they had a running back named Eddie Lacy. And, and Eddie Lacy, like, he, he, go ahead and show the picture. If you can show the, the picture. All right. On the left was Eddie Lacy. I, wish, I couldn't remember the exact year, but this is Eddie Lacy, like, when he was finishing out one of the seasons. The right picture is what Eddie Lacy showed up to training camp looking like. Now, and, and I, don't, I don't show this to, to fat shame or to, you know, or to make fun of Eddie Lacy at all, not in, any, not in any way. But what I'm trying to point out is that in our seasons of recovery, they, they require intentionality, they require discipline. It doesn't mean, recovering healing doesn't mean sloth and inactivity. And unfortunately, I, like, I, again, I'm, I'm, this sounds very judgmental, I don't mean it to be. But I think on, on the off-season here, Eddie Lacy, he, he, was, he was not taking care and healing and recovering well. And he showed up to, he showed up to training camp looking just like that. And, and so what does that mean for all of us? Like, what, what does that mean for us? And as, as I stated two weeks ago, we believe that this really is a time for connection and for community within our church family here, internally. Like, what are, what are we inviting other people to come and be a part of if we haven't learned the art of practicing community and connection ourselves? And so what I believe we need in this season of, of recovery, in this, in this season of healing, something I want you to write down, it, it's lingering communion with God and with others. What, one of the things that's so vital for us in, in this time is lingering communion with God and with others. And there's so much in our lives that's, that's just rushed. Running here, running there, multitasking, trying to squeeze as much as we can into the few hours we have in our day. But true connection and true community can't be rushed both with God and with other people. It's not something that we, that we, can, that we can speed through. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, like, I run into this all the time, being, being fully transparent with you. Like, the, even this very weekend, we had so many things we wanted to try to do that we wanted to try to accomplish as, as a family this weekend. And my connection and my communion with God really suffered from it. Like, time spent communion with God was either non-existent or I attempted to cram it into this tiny little space just to kind of get it done because I felt like I had all these other things that I, that I wanted to do, that I wanted to accomplish. In the end, like, God is, God is a healer, not, to, not just of our physical bodies, but he heals, he heals our minds, our emotions. He heals our souls. And the first four verses in Psalm 23 talk about this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. That God refreshes my soul. And after what so many of us have, have walked through and journeyed through over these last number of years, I don't know, like, I need that refreshment for my soul. 
I'm quite certain we all do in this room. But this requires connection. It requires community. It requires communion with, with God in the middle of it. I, I love the mental picture that David paints here about a shepherd and his sheep. If you've ever seen sheep grazing, they're not in a hurry. They're not in a rush. They're taking their time, nibbling here, going over there. Like they are, They're nearby to the shepherd, and they're not hurried. They're not rushed in any way. It's, it's not a, it, this picture is not one of, of rush and hurry and haste. It's one of trust. It's one of connection. And I want to challenge all of us that, that in this season that we find ourselves in right now, that we be highly intentional, highly purposeful about intentionally having lingering communion with God. And maybe that requires us saying no to some things in our lives in order so that we can say yes to God. Maybe that means we need to rethink and reprioritize some of the things that we have going on in our life. That we may need to take time to slow down, to focus on Him, to observe God, where are you all around me right now that, that often I'm so busy because I'm just going from here to there doing this, doing that? I've heard it said before that if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. And I think that's really true. I've found that to be true in my life. But not only do we need lingering communion with God, we also need lingering communion with others as well. Lingering communion. This is a big part of the reason that we decided to go to one service. It's a big part of the reason that we're doing our, our lunch on the lawn so that we can have that lingering communion with, with one another, creating space for connection and community to take place amongst our church family here. Heather Kopp, she's an author, and she wrote something that was so profound about this idea of what I believe that is God's heart for, for us, for our church, for our ecclesia our church body. And I want to share this with you, and it's going to be up on the screen as well. And Heather Kopp wrote, she said, when folks gather around a system of shared beliefs, the price of acceptance in the group is usually agreement, which means the greatest value, stated or not, is being right. But unfortunately, this often creates an environment of fear and performance, which in turn invites conformity. But when people gathered around a shared need for healing, the price of acceptance in the group is usually vulnerability, which means the greatest value, stated or not, is being real. This tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community. We all face the same challenge of how far, or excuse me, of how to foster authentic connection. As much as our souls crave it, our ego fears it. Is that not true? For most of us, it's fairly easy to share intellectual headspace with someone. We know this, we think that, not much risk there. But inviting that person into our heart space, where we may feel broken in places, takes courage, sometimes even desperation. This is what we need. I love the way that she, that she was writing about that and sharing that. Because it requires intentionality. Not just having superficial relationships. Not just, not just being, you know, ankle deep thinking about Ezekiel's vision. But going deep with God. Going deep with one another. 
I want to piggyback on Heather Kopp's observation with a blog post that I came across by Christopher Page. And, and I want to read this to you as well. And, and just both of these just jumped off the page at me when, when I read them. And I want you to follow along with what Christopher, Christopher Page says here. He says, Do we want to come to church every Sunday and hear everyone's story of struggling towards healing and recovery? Like most things in church, the answer starts before anyone actually walks through the doors of the building on Sunday morning and cannot be addressed by the most well-intentioned program. Vulnerable church begins with the fundamental intentions of our hearts. When I come to church, do I come hoping to find support for my convictions, my beliefs, my lifestyle, and my status? Or do I come aware that my life is broken in many places and that I am in deep need of healing and restoration? Is church for me a place to parade my accomplishments, my power, my ability to control the circumstances of my successful life? Or is it a place I come seeking a power greater than my own self-will that can take the mess of my life, hold it with grace and tenderness, allowing my wounds to find healing and transformation? Do I view church as one more self-help convenience store on a smorgasbord of options available to help me polish the exterior of my life? Or do I see church as a place where I am called to open, where I am called to open to a reality deeper and more abiding than all the brokenness that continues to afflict the, surf the surface in every aspect of my life? When church is a gathering of people who know they are broken and in daily need of being restored to the light, it will be a healing place without fancy program. When I, when I open to the reality of the fragmented nature of my own existence and hold my brokenness with tenderness, I will share and provide in a healing space for other people to hold the broken parts of their lives with greater acceptance. It will not necessarily be anything I say or anything I do, but as a broken person, knowing my need for the grace of welcome, excuse me, but as a broken person, knowing my need for the grace of welcome, I will naturally share and create in an open accepting space for anyone who carries their wounds into church on Sunday. Vulnerable church asks, what heart do I offer in our gathering? Church will be whatever participants bring to the assembly. And I absolutely love that description, vulnerable church. Vulnerable church. Being a church of vulnerable people, it costs us something. It's not easy. It's difficult. It requires us being uncomfortable. Being a vulnerable church requires that we aren't just ankle deep, but that we're going in above our waist. We're going in above our heads. That, that we are being truly real and truly genuine and truly authentic with those around us. It costs something. It's risky. But in the end, this is where true healing takes place. This is where true recovery happens, is in a vulnerable space like that. And, and thinking back to Ezekiel's vision that I shared at the beginning, that everywhere the river flowed, healing and restoration and flourishing took place. When we can learn to practice lingering communion with God, and lingering communion with others, we're gonna, that, that river of life is going to freely flow from us. It's not something we need to try to manipulate. It's not something we need to try to, to make happen. 
It's something that will naturally occur. It's something that will naturally take place. But it requires vulnerability. It requires us being real. It requires us knowing one another. Not, not just, oh, I know somebody. No, like, I know you. I know you. And that's, that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm praying for for our church. That we would be willing to be vulnerable. We would be willing to be open. Being willing to ask somebody for prayer and be willing to, let, to, to go and pray for someone else. And, I, and I, I truly believe that God's going to do amazing things in this season. And so I'm, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you would, you, would you be willing to be unguarded? Would you be willing to be vulnerable? Would you be willing to be available? Would you be willing to be real? Would you be willing to share? Would you be willing to pray? Would you be willing to linger? Would you be willing to connect? Because when we can do that, when we can be real with God, and we can be real with one another, change happens. That river flows from us, through us. And flourishing, and healing, and restoration takes place all around. So if you would, would you bow your heads and just allow me just to pray for, for us as a, as a church body. Lord, I, I, I'm so grateful for you. Lord, we, we love you and are so, so thankful, God, for what you are doing in and through each one of us, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit resides inside of us, Lord, and, and that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that, that in the same way that Ezekiel saw that river flowing out of the temple, Lord, that, that we would be that same thing, that, that as the temple of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that your river of life would flow from us, Lord. And, and God, everywhere that we go, that we would see life where it was previously desolate, where, 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 where those things that, that were broken, those things that were, that were shattered are, are, are restored and healed and mended. God, that the spaces all around us would be flourishing, teeming with life. And God, that, that as, a, as a church body, as a church family, that we, that we would practice this together. Lord, that we, we would practice lingering communion with you. God, allowing you to, or allowing ourselves just to be real and honest with you, not, not pretending, not being phony, not being fake. God's just laying ourselves before you and saying, God, this is who I am. This is where I am. And allowing you to do your healing work inside of us. But God, that we would also be willing just to, to linger and to be real with one another. That we'd be willing to be vulnerable. That this would be a time, maybe we've sat on the sidelines before. Maybe, maybe we think of ourselves as, as introverted and we don't, we don't want to get too close to somebody. Maybe, maybe we've been hurt by someone in the past. And it feels safer, it feels easier to just kind of keep it all to myself. Lord, would you help us to step out of our comfort zones? Would, would you help us, Lord, to be vulnerable, to be real, to be transparent, to be honest with one another, with, with who we are, with where we are? God, that your healing would take place in the midst of that. 
God, I, I'm excited for what you have in store, Lord. And, and I just pray that you would prepare our hearts for what you have, Lord, that, that we could truly be your hands and your feet all around us, God. We love you so much, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.